Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Bad Beats episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about to make the legendary worst deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith. I'm the owner of Royal Legal Solutions, the one-stop shop for everything legal, tax, and business for real estate investors everywhere in the USA. Um, I'm with a good friend of mine, Chris, here today. Uh, Chris is uh, one of these guys that you guys are going to love hearing from because he's just brutally honest and open uh, about uh, how the how the bad stuff works uh, here in, in life and what that looks like from multiple sides of the equation. You know, a lot of times we only see things from our side, which is, you know, I'm the real estate investor and I'm trying to get into this deal and here's the thing that went wrong. But there's a lot more perspectives um, that go into because all the other people that we interact with to be able to make those deals happen. And the more we can learn about what makes their life great and what makes their life horrible or when things go wrong for them, um, the more we can make win-wins for everybody, right? Um, so today we're going to be um, talking a little bit um, from the from a little bit different perspectives um, into here with uh, Chris today. Um, and uh, so Chris, I'd like to give you an opportunity um, for everybody that doesn't know you. Um, uh, can you give them a, a little bit of a background on uh, what they need to know to be able to kind of set the stage for today's uh, story? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, just thanks, Scott, for having me on, for taking the time, giving me a call. Um, excited to chat with you, tell a few stories. Hopefully, we can teach the audience some stuff that will help them in their business. And yeah, let's dive right in. So my name is Chris Haddon. I own a company called Hard Money Bankers with my business partner, Jason Balin, here in um, the D.C. metro area. We're in Columbia, Maryland, like right in between D.C. and Baltimore. We do business in D.C., Baltimore, and Philadelphia areas. Um, we started this company in late 2007 after a little run in the mortgage industry and also getting into some real estate investments of our own, some rentals, flips, a wholesale here and there, that sort of thing. And then went full time into the private lending in late 2007, which if you recall was right around the time everything had just crashed, you know, the whole real estate and financial world and subprime and foreclosure crisis. Like it was a, a very challenging time to start, but also in hindsight, a great time to start because the market was at the bottom, had nowhere to go but up. So we've been having a great run for you know a dozen years ever since. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those you know great things that we look at um, is about like the longevity and the history, right? That gives us like really set the stage for what is it that we really know about um, somebody and how how well they can do, right? We, we think like patterns typically repeat themselves unless we learn from those patterns. Right. Um, and so when we're, we're talking about like a, a best <clears throat> or a worse deal here today, Chris, um, is, was that something, you know, that, uh, um, is that, was a history of a, t a certain type of pattern that you can see over and over again repeating itself? Or are these kind of, uh, what we're we talking about today is really like a one-off special circumstance. I wouldn't say it's a special circumstance at all. I think it's all about patterns and about how people operate. And we have a unique perspective as a lender because we get to see behind the scenes of so many real estate deals. I mean, we've done maybe 2,500 private loans on investment real estate deals since we started. So we've seen all kinds of stuff, a lot of great clients and great operators and how they work and how they make money and also where people get into trouble. And there are definite patterns for either one. And yeah, we'll, we'll dive in, in detail, but no, it's, I would not call it, you know, there's always 
extraordinary circumstances that go into a deal, the details that make it a, an interesting story. But no, the patterns are still the patterns from doing it well and from not doing or doing it not so well. Cool. Well, let's let's go jump into like a story. Maybe we'll have time to go through like one of each and talk about like what those pattern, like what that pattern actually looks like and, and like with uh, some more fleshed out, some more um, facts onto it. So um, do you want to go through like, let's go through a worst deal first, maybe, and then kind of look at, you know, what does it look like when you have a really negative pattern? Something that's really great at losing money or, or whether, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the example of a deal, and then we'll get into the, the concepts related to what happened there as they apply to everyone. So we did a loan. It was probably back in, I believe 2012 was when we first funded a loan. It was for a small builder in Northern Virginia, McLean, Virginia, right outside of DC, um, high dollar area. And he was kind of a one-off builder. I think he owned a couple of restaurants and he would do like one house at a time too. Uh, ground up construction guy, which is not typically what we lend on, but this particular property um, was maybe 60% done already, 70%, something like that. He, interesting story because he had built the place probably half done before we came into it. It caught fire and burned to the ground. And then he built it back to about, like I said, 60 or 70% done in cash. Hadn't used any loans on us to this point. And that's when we came into the picture. He was running short on funds and he needed money to complete it. Um, mind you, like I said, high dollar area. This is a huge house in a neighborhood that could support it, but it was still a little big for the area. Probably 8,000 square feet. I mean, it's a monster. Type of property that needs to be done very, very well to, uh, I mean, maybe he was going to be listing for in the neighborhood of 2.5 million, something like that. In that kind of buyer, the retail buyer you're selling to, very high end, obviously, they know exactly what they want. You have to turn out a fantastic product to move that place for what you want because your competition is the best in the business, right? So, okay. After we funded the deal, he started continuing with the job. Not long after that, everything started to go sideways. Like we noticed that his construction job was stalling. He got behind on monthly payments. Um, because of the getting behind on monthly payments, we had to start the foreclosure process, which in um, Virginia is very quick. So when we had scheduled an auction sale, he ends up um, declaring bankruptcy to stall that. Meanwhile, he's trying to fix the place. And <laughs> what, what happens? Somehow the place burns down again. The place burned down for a second time. Wow. And yeah. And this is a law, I'm telling it in a quick version, but this is over many, many months and it turned into years. Um, shady kind of circumstances. We don't know exactly why that place caught fire for the first or second time. Um, I believe that they did declare that they detected um, reason to believe that it was arson that happened the second time, but they couldn't pin it on anyone. And so I guess it was in between the first and the second time when he was, uh, this builder was in default, loan default with us and in foreclosure, his insurance policy came due. And like I said, he was in foreclosure and he had also declared bankruptcy and there's a past fire at the property. So imagine how hard it is to get that property insured. He wasn't in a financial position to do it. We had to be protected as a lender. So we found an insurer, I believe out of uh, Utah, they would write the policy for some crazy kind of premium. It was 30 grand for nine months or something like that, which we paid because we had to. Um, yeah, 
high risk insurer, crazy situation. And then after that, the property burned down again when that second fire happened. Burns down again, arson investigation, everything else. He's still, you know, stalling things in bankruptcy court. And we end up getting into litigation with the insurance company. And uh, we had to fly out there for mediation. This whole thing's about, like everything that could go wrong went wrong. We ended up making a deal with the insurance company and getting our money back, getting made whole. Um, we didn't collect all the interest and everything else we were owed, but hey, we, we got out clean. And I, there's a few things I noticed with this guy, because mind you, like I met him in person a few times and I even saw him testify in bankruptcy court. I had to testify in bankruptcy court. And there are two major problems that are like the overarching kind of concepts that I think people could take away something good. One was this guy was just frankly in over his head. He wasn't qualified to build that property. He had done properties before, nothing on that, uh, on that scale, never done anything that high end. He simply wasn't qualified for the job. And two, he had this strange emotional attachment to the place, to the transaction, the property. I mean, he kept, it was a horrible business decision for him to keep building this property in cash and his own money. I know exactly where it came from originally, that amount of money he was putting into it, but he, he couldn't let it go. Even after it burned down the second time, he was trying to get the bankruptcy court to, I don't exactly know what his game plan was, but long story short, he was under the impression he was going to build it for a third time. Wow. And yeah, can you see like the strange emotional connection, which it's supposed to be a business deal. It's an investment. It certainly wasn't a primary. He lived down the street with his wife and his family. Um, so between those two things, I see different versions of this a lot. I see different versions of I'm not qualified to do what I want to do and I'm trying to do it anyway. And also people who end up getting that emotional attachment with, with something that should just be a pure business deal. What, uh, when you look at somebody that said, you know, because everybody is unqualified to do something until they do it the first time, right? And then all of a sudden they become qualified, right? Is your perspective on that, um, like how do people then branch into to something that's new okay, without swimming out of their lane? Because it's like really, I think what you're getting at is saying that you swim too far out of your lane, you're really unqualified, right? But you can probably deviate some. And, and what, where's your perspective on that to see like where, uh, when's too far? Like, when are you so unqualified that it's not too good? But when could you be like, well, I'm not really qualified to do it, but it, that's a, it's enough that I, I think that this person could, should still be able to pull that off. Yeah, for sure. And that's definitely a judgment call and an important concept in general is, you know, just you have, you have to crawl before you walk. So if you are starting out with wholesaling deals, for example, you're just learning the marketing side and the numbers of a real estate transaction without having to do construction, without having to put too much capital at risk, that's a great place to start. Do you want to get into a light rehab, you know, lipstick on a pig or something like they call it, throw in 20, 30 grand, which is the kind of job that even new investors could handle in a median housing price. That's a good point too. Um, for the vast majority of real estate investors, I would stay away from the rough, rough areas and I would stay away from high end. This business works best in the median housing price. Um, properties that you can handle and it's the largest market of buyers. So, if you want to start with a light rehab, maybe even a rental, maybe it's something that you're going to buy and fix up, throw a few bucks into it, rent it out and just get your feet wet without too much risk. I feel like a lot of people who are, you know, somewhat qualified, have done their homework, have professional, have a few bucks in their pocket can handle before you do something crazy like, I don't know, a DC condo conversion where we 
I spoke to a commercial agent last week and her client was doing their first deal, trying to acquire a property for a million bucks, turn it into five units with all these nuanced Washington DC laws, obviously way over their head for deal number one, right? So yeah, starting with a wholesale or a rental property or a light rehab is the right place to start. And you're still going to have headaches. You're still gonna have hiccups. It's not gonna go perfect. Every real estate investor can tell you that, but I think the downside is very, very manageable. Yeah, well, I was wondering about what happens with some of these guys too, is that they get bored doing the same thing over and over again, right? And then they're like, well, I'm gonna pick up like a challenge, you know, that comes into it. And that's where they start swimming outside of their lane. But yeah. I'm wondering though, if that, that like being bored is probably actually a good thing. Like you wanna be 90% bored and then like have 10% that's like, oh, that, that would be fun. You know, that, that, that little tiny piece instead of like going all the way into something new. I totally agree with you. Let, let's, let's talk about that. Um, we all like our business and we're in, you know, we should enjoy the transactions and the business that we're in, but we're in this to make money. Like we do other stuff for fun, like bored shouldn't enter too much into it. I, I like the 90, 10 idea. There's nothing wrong with experimenting, but let me tell you in my experience of doing thousands of loans for some of the best uh, rehabbers and real estate investors in the DC area, the, the people who do it the best, their deals are like widgets. They come into a property, they know what it's going to look like. They use the same cabinets and floors and even paint colors, and they have their stuff to stage it. It's just a widget. They know their product, how much they can pay for it, what they're gonna put into it, what their resale price is, and they do it over and over. Um, it doesn't have to be a lot. I think some people make the mistake of doing too many deals when they should just focus on doing higher quality, higher profit deals. But if you can make it into a widget, a repeatable thing that makes good money, that's good business. Not doing it for like, I don't know, this is fun or interesting or I like design. Like that doesn't, in my experience, turn into the best financial results. So keep it super simple. Like, so you would say probably, um, not to put words in your mouth, you can tell me if I'm totally off on here. But you might say something like along the lines of you need to be doing deals that are inside your wheelhouse enough until you could probably get it all the way out on paper exactly what needs to be done and somebody else could do the deal. Because you'd be like, you have it down so well written, so well crafted, and you can just keep turning that out that you actually, Chris, don't need to be involved in that deal much because it's just the playbook. You just run the playbook and it makes money into it. And if you're still like, oh, it's really centric around my creativity or one person's creativity, you don't really have a real business then. What you do is you have like creative endeavors that could be risky and are probably experimental. Yeah. So I I would agree with pretty much all of that. If you can get it to the point where you can teach it to someone else, then you truly know it. And you're not just figuring out as you go along. That being said, like I said before, I think that it's fine to be a real estate investor doing X amount of deals per year. It could be, I don't know, five of them, like say flips, like say you're doing five. It's not a ton, but you can make some, if, you, if you're good at it, you can make a very, very nice living. It's a very good business to have a solid five deals a year instead of 10 that you're doing uh, not so well. You know what I mean? So being a hands-on operator in real estate, I think is totally fine. But I also agree with what you were saying about systematizing it to the point that you could teach it to someone else, possibly can pass it off. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe you never even have to pass it off, right? 
but just to say that like, man, I got it. Like this is, this is my playbook, you know? And right. then you would know that you had at that point, if you could get it down into that, you know, there would be no question at that point. So, so from your experience, you're saying uh, from a lender's perspective, um, stick with the middle of the market, mm-hmm. stick with your level of complexity. That's not on the edge of what you know, but it's like inside of what you know, maybe like with a little bit of spice to it, if you want to. Um, and, uh, and don't go exotic. I mean, is that essentially what it boils down into from if you're, when you're looking for lenders, when you're a lender looking to say, who do I want to lend money to? That's the type of person you're like, oh, I'll lend money to that guy all day long. If you, yes. So, somebody who knows their product and their game plan and knows what they're doing. Also, at, at least for the foreseeable future, maybe forever. Oh, I think my video just cut out again. Oh, it's okay. Um, there we go. Okay, I'm back. It might be this connection speed on my end. Yeah, it could be. That's all right, man. We got like a few minutes here and then we'll wrap anyway. So, <laughs> you know. Just keep going in, in yeah. audio? Yeah, we'll just keep going in audio. That'll be fine if we can't get the video to work. Okay. All right. Looks like that's going to be the case. So, yes, know your product, know your game plan. And in addition, at least for the foreseeable future, only buy in your hometown please <laughs> don't buy in states across. I know it's a sexy idea and some people like that. Oh, like things are great in Indianapolis. So I'm going to go pick up properties there. It's hard dealing with the headache property in your own hometown. Imagine dealing with it halfway across the country, which I see, I, I know that it exists. I don't really know how it works. Um, and anyway, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole on that one, but yeah, the people that any lender wants to lend to or any private investor wants to give their money to is somebody who truly knows their product and their game plan. Can I ask you about that with the lending? Um, so with, with somebody that's a, you know, a deal that's across state lines. Um, one investor I was talking to said what he would do is he would actually run a deal by a hard money lender to be able to see if the hard money lender would lend money on it, then he was thinking that's probably a good deal. They see tons of deals. If they're going to put money into it, then um, probably means it's a strong deal for him. And we had a conversation and there was a conversation and I was, was part of that conversation that was about like, well, that could be true, but it also could just be that they just don't think they're at risk for a number of reasons, but it doesn't necessarily mean the deal is great. Yeah. So that's a good question. And that's something that is something that we deal with all the time as a hard money lender is, Yes, you obviously want to see your clients making good buys where they're going to make good money. On the other side of things, you're right. It's possible that the lender could just adjust his loan amount down and say that, okay, I'll be fine either way and let this guy do whatever he can do. So I would not say that just because they're going to give you money on it means it looks like a great deal. Moreover, don't rely on anyone else to tell you if it's a good deal or not. Don't rely on the lender. Don't rely on an appraiser. Don't rely on a real estate agent. This is your business. This is your business. Knowing the numbers and the profit in a deal is not for anyone else but you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like, let, let's be responsible and mature business people about that. Like, don't put, don't put that, like we see that all the time with other lenders who, who depend on appraisals to get their value. It's like, don't put the most important number in the transaction in the hands of somebody who has no interest in the transaction. Right. 
Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And that's probably a great lesson learned, um, you know, for today's episode, uh, Chris, is like you're, you got to be, you know, you need to know it. You got to be the one that's making the decision on the numbers if you're the deal maker, right? Yeah, um, that is your business literally. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. Well, it's awesome, Chris. So for anybody that wants to get a hold of you, who are you trying to connect with and what's the best way for them to uh, get a hold of you? Uh, anyone can check us out on uh, hardmoneybankers.com. Our main site has a lot of educational material and everything else for uh, real estate investors, all free. And um, if people happen to be in DC, Baltimore, or Philadelphia areas, happy to give you a loan. Anywhere else, just stop by for the free info. Awesome. Well, thanks, Chris, for coming on to the Real Estate Nerds today and uh, sharing a little bit of, of your wisdom with us. Um, hope to uh, have you back on here again soon so we can talk a little bit more about uh, you know, some of the other sides of these deals. I know that the lending aspect of what happens is always gonna be super important. Um, whether economies go up or down or sideways, you know, there's getting the financing in place is um, the number one thing you have to do to be able to make the deals happen. So uh, always great to have you a part of our community here. And uh, everybody go reach out to uh, Chris via the website um, and uh, be able to connect with him uh, about and get some of that free info that he is talking about. Uh, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with what it's like when you can actually have these strong relationships. Because even if you're thinking, hey, I don't need one, need it necessarily right now, you need to have a relationship with, you know, not just one financing institution, you need many relationships because, you know, you're, you never know when you're going to need the cash, right? Or when you're going to see the hot opportunity and, and be able to act on it as quickly as possible. So go form that relationship with Chris and his team. Um, and, uh, and with other people that you think are phenomenal, but reach out to his website right now. And until next time, guys, uh, see you around. Thanks. That's all for this Bad Beats episode. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. Did you see yourself in any part of that story? I know I did. If you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in the sleeping masses of what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day. Thanks, and I'll see you again soon.